you will, take your Bibles and turn to the book of Exodus, chapter 6. An amazing story. Uh, the book of Exodus is one of my favorite books in the Bible. I love it because it, it displays the glory of God so wonderfully in the midst of everyday life, trouble, and trial. As we look at this, we have uh, Moses has now been uh, recruited by God, called out by God to lead the Hebrew people out of slavery and bondage and to go and be the people of God and to become that, that uh, nation dwelling in the promised land that was promised to Abraham. So now we see the stage is set. And uh, as we look at this, I want you to look at verse 2. Then God spoke to Moses, telling him, I am Yahweh. I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as God Almighty. Now, those are words you need to underline. God Almighty means without rival. The mightiest of the mighty. God Almighty. But I did not make my name Yahweh known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the promised land. And they lived in as foreigners. Furthermore, I have heard the groaning. Now watch this. Furthermore, he said, now first of all, I've made a promise to do something. But now also, furthermore, I have heard the groaning of the Israelites, whom the Egyptians are forcing to work as slaves. And I have remembered my covenant. Now, that doesn't mean that God forgot his covenant and said, oh, my gosh, I forgot about this. I've left them there for 400 years and didn't realize it. That's not what it means. That's what it would mean if we said it. Oh, I just remembered that. But he is now saying it's now come to its time of being dealt with. All right? God doesn't have a memory problem. All right? Therefore, tell the Israelites, I am Yahweh and I will deliver you. Now, watch. He's saying... Tell them, I know, I hear what they're thinking. I hear what they're saying. I, I know what's going on. I, I, I sense their, their struggle. So I want you to give them a word. Here we go. Tell them, I will deliver you from the forced labor of the Egyptians and free you from slavery to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and great acts of judgment. I will take you as my people and I will be your God. You will know that I am your Yahweh, your God, who delivered you from the forced labor of the Egyptians. I will bring you to the land that I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. God Almighty, Yahweh, I am the very reality. Of your hope. Okay, now, watch this. Moses told this to the Israelites. He said, Guys, I got good news for you. Man, let me tell you what God's told me. <clears throat> and he was going to relay that. He relays the message. Now, watch. But they did not listen to him because of their broken spirit. And hard labor. <clears throat> it's hard to hear God when you're hurting, isn't it? 
We just need to be real honest about that. We can lay aside that thing of, well, nothing ever bothers me, and I'm so spiritual, I just live through it all. The truth is, when we're hurting, it is very hard to hear God. We have very much in common with those slaves in Egypt, don't we? If you look in, in, in the, the, the variety of terms used in, this, in, in, the, in the Hebrew, discouragement would be one of the words that would fit. Because of their discouragement, they could not hear. They did not listen to what God was saying. Discouragement is probably one of the greatest battlegrounds we live in today. As believers, it is a very real battleground. <clears throat> The devil's toolbox has many, many tools which he uses to hinder the saints, to distract the saints, and to defeat the saints individually. While in his toolbox, he has that thing called pride. Pride sure causes destruction. It causes a fall. He has that thing called jealousy that, that certainly can, can affect relationships. He has that thing called gossip which does havoc like a wildfire in a dry forest. Hatred. It simmers under the surface caused by anger. And he, and he works these tools very well, but I'm convinced one of the most effective tools and probably one that's, that's used a good bit is this tool called discouragement. He knows how to apply it so efficiently. He slips it in and he catches us when we're not really paying attention sometimes. And, and we begin to feel the effects of this tool called discouragement. Guys, I, I see it all the time. I, I talk to people who are discouraged. And there are days when I must battle this thing called discouragement. Discouragement touches everyone. No one's exempt. It hinders effectiveness. It causes a temporary loss of perspective, and, and it is contagious, which is why it's such an effective tool out of the toolkit of Satan. It is very contagious. For when one's discouraged, all of a sudden, as the story's told, another gets discouraged. Kind of like this story, a, a policeman saw a man standing on the edge of the bridge fixing to jump. He, he stopped immediately, ran over, and, and began to converse with the man and, and, and was trying to talk to him. And, and as the man shared his story, they both jumped in the river. Discouragement is contagious. It spreads as it seems to be displayed. The question is, why did the Hebrew people feel so discouraged? And perhaps there's a key for you and me. In this, first of all, the situation seemed homeless, helpless, and hopeless. The situation seemed hopeless. They had been slaves for 400 years. That's 10 generations. And, and they could say, my grandfather said that God was going to deliver. And, and then my great-grandfather said God was going to deliver. And then it's going, somebody back there, we don't even know who, said God was going to deliver. And finally, to the point, we don't know if God's ever going to deliver. Because we are in this sense of hopelessness. Perhaps today there is this overwhelming sense of hopelessness that seems to be surfacing in so many areas of our lives. 
There seems to be very little good news, but yet yeah, there is. Just got to find it. But they were, they seemed, the situation seemed hopeless. Also, uh, there was no obvious experience of God's deliverance. This is very important. For 400 years, they'd not seen the hand of God do something obvious. Now, let's be honest. There's times we're going, I can't remember the last time God did something obvious in my life. When's the last time he just did something that just blew the doors off, not the roof off, and means that is God. The truth is, sometimes we don't see that. Maybe we've gone months and not seen the obvious power of God or the glory of God. Can I tell you what they missed and what we miss? While they were enslaved, do you understand there was a time when Egyptian was trying to eradicate the Jews? And yet God preserved them. Is that not the hand of God that he would preserve us? Now, it's not as obvious. But it's just as real. It is God saying, I'm taking care of you. I'm protecting you. I, I, I've not yet delivered you because it's not yet time. But, but I, I'm going to preserve you from generation to generation to generation to generation to generation. I, 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 you're not out of my sight. You're not off my heart. And, and, and you're not away from my thinking. So I, I, I'm constantly aware that I am now holding the heart of Pharaoh in my hand. And I will determine what will happen with him. But I, I want you to know that. I am preserving you for the promise that I've given you. Now, guys, I want to tell you, we're a people of promise. And when God has given us promises, uh, then we are know that he's going to preserve us to that end because he's God. He's God Almighty. He's Yahweh. He is the Lord who says, I will do this. And therefore, he is very capable and able to do this. He's not got a problem with resources or strength because of who he is. So if he has made a promise to us, for example, I know that he's promised me eternal life. And he will preserve me to that end. He's told me that I'm going to die in this world, but I, I have eternal life. And he has got me covered in that. I don't know how that transition works. I just know that it will. And so we look at this and we go, all right, here we got it. And so there's no obvious experience of God's deliverance, yet they didn't recognize the person preservation power of God. And then there was physical and emotional exhaustion. Isn't that when we're most open to uh, discouragement, when we're tired? Man, we're tired mentally and physically and emotionally, and then we just all of a sudden, discouragement begins to pop up in this sense of, of we're just overwhelmed, overworked. I think perhaps sometimes uh, Jesus modeled for us the need to rest and sometimes to get away. That's why I never fuss. I know summer comes and attendance goes down. I was talking to a pastor the other day. He was saying, man, uh, man, you know, we, we're just, we don't know where they go. You know, I don't pay. You guys need rest. Don't bother me. You, keep, you need rest. We work hard here. You need rest. Go rest. Just know that God's going to use you wherever you are, and he may give you a great opportunity to be used wherever you're taking vacation. Don't, don't let that opportunity pass you by, but rest. Man, I think, uh, yet, they were so exhausted now, they were just open to this thing called brokenness of spirit and discouragement. So, in light of that, there's two lessons that we can learn while in the pit of discouragement. Two simple things. I just want you to hopefully take note of these. Number one, God hears us when we hurt. If you look back in this, he said, I have heard their groaning. 
Moses, tell them I've heard them. Tell them I've heard them. I hear. Please understand this. When we bring our burdens to the Lord, He hears them. He hears them. He hears them. And so in doing this, the problem is, I'm telling you this, God hears you. And you're saying, but I'm discouraged, Pastor, and I just can't receive that today. Uh, you're saying, but yep, I, I, yeah, I don't really. You see, when we're discouraged, it doesn't matter what I say, the Bible says, does it? Because discouragement seems to kind of muddy the, the or, 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 or cloud the focus, if you will. And we really said, does God, are you really hearing me? I don't think God hears me anymore. He hears. He hears. He sent Moses and said, let me tell you, tell him I hear. But here's what I do know. You say, well, if he hears us, why don't I sense that? There's several reasons. I think we might not sense God's help because of, number one, a pain problem. Guys, a few years ago, it was Christmas, and we were trying to get shopping done uh, for our family and and to have a good Christmas. It had been a tough, tough year. Uh, One of those years when Vicky was sick and things were tough and money was tight and a lot of things, you know, and we're out there hustling, trying to get things done, and, and, uh, and it wasn't a good time. So we'd been to the mall, and it, was, it had been a disaster. And so I, we were going to go by Lifeway. I, I, I wanted to get a couple things at Lifeway and, uh, in a hurry because of time, you know, we just got to get things done. And so I was, I was in my black truck and, and uh, opened the door. Now, I, would, I have a thing because I always move quick. I don't move slow at anything I do. I'm moving quick. And so for me, I would do this thing where I would open the door, uh, hit the button to lock it, and shut the door almost simultaneously. And up until then, I'd been real good at it. Uh, but uh, what I'd done was I got out. We're going in, and, and uh, a, probably a lot of frustration in trying to get this stuff done and, and just trying to get it. So I, I hit the button and slammed the door and caught this finger in a locked door. And I want to tell you, it it hurt. I mean, now the problem is I realized instantaneously what had happened and I had to jerk my finger out of the door. Uh, whether that's wise or not, I don't know. But that's what I did. So I had now this gash and it was bleeding and Charlene. Now this whole time, Charlene has said several things to me. I don't know what she said. I didn't really care what she said, quite honestly. I was hurting. I was in great pain. I was over there holding us doing this. And, and I'm thinking, gosh, this hurts. And, 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 and she's over there saying stuff, and it is like she's miles away. I don't know what she said. And then she's trying to help me, and she says, let me look at it. No, I don't want you to look at it. 
And, well, let me see it. No, I don't want you to see it. I know what's wrong with it. I, I busted in the door. Hey, what are you going to do? You know? And then, and then she says, well, let me look at it. Maybe when you get stitches, well, are you a doctor? What do you know? I mean, look, you know, and so, because I'm in pain. I'm not, I'm not, hey, I'm in pain. We go in the store because I am now, not only is my, now my stubbornness and tenacity comes out. I've come there to find something. I'm going in the store to find it. And so I've got my, my, I'm doing this, and I finally uh, got a napkin around. I think it'll quit bleeding in a minute, it'll quit bleeding in a minute, and, you know. And it is hurting, it's throbbing with every heartbeat. And, uh, and uh, Charlene, uh, uh, the manager, she goes, finds the manager, his name's Mark, he's a great guy. We, we've known each other, he, he's a great guy uh, that runs the Lifeway there. And, 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 she, and we need Band-Aids, so Mark comes, and, and, uh, and they're talking, and I'm still not paying attention to what they're saying. And so finally, finally, after, after about 30 minutes, she says, we need to go get stitches. And that's really the first thing I heard her say. Now, she had been babbling the whole time. In a good way, in a good way. In a good way. I mean, she had been, because I mean, she was kind of, you know, the drilling hit her, and she was kind of fired up, and she was saying a lot of stuff. I couldn't tell you what she said. But uh, pain, pain. Man, it gets in the way here in God, doesn't it? Let's be honest. It just really does. Let's don't kid ourselves. When we're hurting, God, I just don't hear you. I just don't hear you. See, they can't hear. They say, we don't, we're not receiving that word, Moses. We are in pain, man. The pain of divorce. Disease. Circumstances. Betrayal. Death. Gosh, guys, those are all real. And they're so painful that sometimes words cannot describe how you feel. Hey. That's not a problem for God. He understands that. But the thing is, we don't sense it because of pain. It's very real. And then the second thing is a timing problem. We're not ready for God to come on the scene. Because the truth is, we think we can handle it. We keep, I got this. I can handle this. I can work through this. I'm bigger than this. I'm stronger than this. I can handle this. So we have a timing problem. We've not yet come to the point of that dependence on God and that open humility says, God, I can't do this without you. We keep thinking, you know, I think I can handle this a little bit. I know I'm discouraged, but God, I got it. Just give me some time. He's going, I'll give you all the time you want. Go ahead. Knock yourself out. And then you're going, gosh, I hadn't made any progress. Today's worse than yesterday. It looks like tomorrow's going to be worse. There's a timing problem. We're not ready for God to come on the scene. Kind of like the... The guy who had kind of looked around and talked to people and they were, they were, you know, and they, they, they finally, he finally cries out to, just in this desperate prayer that, uh, dear God, are you real? Some people down here don't think so. So you better hurry up and do something quick. Isn't that kind of where we are sometimes? Lord, are you real? Man, do something. We talked about storms last week and God being on time. A timing problem is very... Pro- See, we, we, we think, God, today is the day you need to do the miraculous. He's going, no, not today. Not today. There's a time coming, I will, but not today. God always operates miraculously in our lives at his timetable, not ours. You see, he's telling Moses, go tell him I'm going to do something. I'm going to bring judgment on, on, uh, 
on Egypt. And they had no idea what that meant. But they were going to have ten plagues hit that place and rock Pharaoh's world. Uh, and so they didn't know what that meant. They just said, we can't, we can't hear you. But they were not yet ready to say, we, we need you more than our next breath. The third thing is an attitude problem. Mm. <laughs> How important is our attitudes? Gosh. They're monument. They're, 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 our attitude is so important that Philippians 2, it says, you need this attitude that was in Christ Jesus. Attitude's huge. If my attitude's bad, nothing's going to line up. Matter of fact, God cannot work in my life till he deals with my attitude. So uh, now I, I have this attitude problem that I, I, you know, you see, God chooses what we go through, but we choose how we go through it. That's attitude. God says, here's what's going to, I'm going to allow to touch your life today. And it will bring a challenge to you. It may be a time of even heartbreak. It may be a time of trouble. But I'm here with you. But, but now I choose how I go through it. So now I determine, Lord, I may, it's okay to say to him, I'm not doing well with this test. Help me. I, my attitude isn't what it should be. My attitude, Lord, it seems to be off base. God, help me. Our attitude problem is huge. We don't sense God because of our attitudes. And then, and then there's a faith problem. Unbelief puts our circumstance between us and God. Simply a faith problem. Some days we just don't have that, in, that, that, you know, we're going, Lord, I don't know today, man. I'm struggling. I'm having, I'm struggling with doubt today about what's really going on and purpose in life. And, and I am. But go back. You're physically exhausted. You're emotionally exhausted. Therefore, here's what's happening. When you get physically exhausted and emotionally exhausted, you don't absorb the book. This is what happens. And if you don't absorb this book, if you don't put this into your spiritual system, you don't have the seed for faith. So, so all of a sudden now you're kind of like, boy, I just can't seem to believe God for anything. And you think, when's the last time you've been in the Word? Well, it's been a while because I have been so discouraged. And I just can't seem to read. It don't make sense. It doesn't take. That's when you got to do it. So you got Because God's word doesn't return void. It may not seem like it's working, but if I will spend time in his word, man, if you're having bad times, camp out in the book of Psalms. It is good stuff for the soul. And so you go, and so you sit there and you go, man, I, I, here's the Lord. I, I can't seem to believe like I used to. Well, you're exhausted. You haven't been in the word. You haven't been absorbing the word. You hadn't, hey. Hadn't been in fellowship with believers because you've been so discouraged. Sometimes you just kind of isolated yourself, which is the worst thing you can do. Isolation is not what God designed us for. He designed for us to interact with one another and, and, and to be dependent on him. So my, if, I, if I begin to have unbelief pop up, then that, now my circumstances become greater than God. And now you're in this vicious cycle you can't seem to get out of. And so now he's saying, look, I, that's important. He said, I understand what's going on. Now let's break out of it. Let's break out of it. So the faith problem comes from sometimes we're just not really absorbing the word. Now, we can't seem to hear or sense God only the noise and the shadows of our troubles. Isn't that true? 
And yet, when I've had discouraging moments in my life, and believe me, I have. Boy, I have. I hold on to these words with every fiber of my being. I will never leave you or forsake you. I am with you always, even to the end of this age. Guys, I hold on to that with great tenacity. I can't control a lot of the circumstances that touch my life. I don't get to choose most of the battles I have to fight. Sometimes I do. Most of the time I don't. But I know this. He's with me. I may not feel like he's with me today. I may not have that goose bump moment when I think about him. But I know he's there because he said he's there. And now I will believe what he said about himself when I don't know what to believe about my circumstances. You got to get that. He says, tell them I'm God Almighty. Moses, tell them who I am. I'm the creator of the universe. Tell them who I am. And I'm their God. If he's created the universe more vast than we can describe or comprehend, he's well able to handle my circumstances. He is because he's God. And because he's with me, he knows when is the best time to intervene in my growth process. You see, I may need to wrestle with my battles for a while. I may need to be fighting some battles. And I may need to struggle through some things that I may get to the second thing we need to know. Our problems increase our knowledge of God. This is the second lesson. Our problems increase our knowledge of God. I just want to give these four things to you. I want you to think about them. Our problems increase our knowledge of God. God is God. But at different points and troubles in our journey, he reveals himself to us in new ways. Did you catch this when he said, tell them I'm God Almighty? And then he says, also, I want you to tell them that I'm Yahweh. They've never heard that term before. But they're going to learn something new about me. Have you ever noticed that God has many names in the Old Testament and, and, and they're carried over the New Testament? With every one of those names is a revelation of his attributes and characteristics. He's saying, they've known me as God Almighty. But now they need to know me as Yahweh. The I Am. Guys, when we go through the troubles of our journey, and we all are on journeys, some of us, uh, we all have our own unique purpose in life as individuals. We also have a collective purpose as a church. And as we begin to travel our journey together, 
uh, and yet within our own lives individually, we, we find troubles come and we go, and your trouble may not be my trouble. You understand that? Your trouble may be something different from me. I, I, I may not have the same trouble you're having, same heartache you're having. And so all of a sudden, uh, but God reveals himself to us in new ways. He shows me that he is El Shaddai, the great provider in the midst of my lack. He shows me that he is God Almighty, my great deliverer in the midst of my battle. He shows me that he is ever-present. He's the Lord, final authority over whatever touches my life. So I begin to sense as he, sh- as he steps into my life and makes himself obvious, I get a fresh perspective of who he is and my faith grows. He reveals himself to us in new ways. He shows me something he can do that I have never seen before. And I go, wow, how great is our God. We offer God our problems, and he offers us himself. We don't need to collect our problems and preserve them. We need to release them. Cast your cares on me, Jesus said, because I care for you. Bring them here. Let's talk about them. Unload your wagon on me. I can take it. He said, let me give you what you need from me. Number three, gaze at God and glance at the problem. I talked about this a little bit last week, but I'll just mention it again. Gaze at God and glance at the problem. Gaze at the beauty of His holiness, His authority, and His power. See, God was give Moses a message that should have been said, tell the people to look at me. Here's who I am. Tell them to look at me. And they couldn't. They weren't looking at him. They were looking at the Egyptian taskmasters. They could not see beyond their circumstances to embrace the reality of their creator who also called them to a purpose. Guys, he says, gaze at God. Oh, I know. Listen, hey, sometimes you just don't want to do that. I understand. You say, oh, it's just too hard. I don't. We have to say, God, help me. You may just, you know, just focus on him. And then be open to what God is teaching. Choose to make the difficult time in your life a time for growth. Choose. You need to write this down. I'm going to repeat it. Choose to make the difficult time in your life a time for growth. I want to give you two quick illustrations. One of them is Job. We all know the story of Job. You talk about discouragement. He is the poster child for discouragement. Ain't none right. This guy has this guy had forty-two chapters written about his life, and none of it was good except the last chapter and the first chapter. Talk about tough. I mean, hey, I have studied the book of Job. I love the book of Job. Because it ministers to me. But I'm going to tell you what. It is hard reading from chapters 2 through 41. Because I'm going, man, this guy is beat up. And he's struggling. And he's hurting. And he's devastated. And he's discouraged. And he's depressed. And he's despair. I, and here's what, what happens 
at the end of the story. And what happens for Job happens for you and it happens for me. That's why this book is in, this, in our Bible. So as, look at chapter 42. Uh, after all the conversation and dialogue, and you realize while we're having the conversation and dialogue, he had three buddies that came and they were awful. They were just horrible. They were just like, <laughs> they were just making him feel worse. Uh, and they were not giving spiritual insight. They were giving logical insight, which gets a lot of people in trouble. And, and so uh, you go, here's the thing, logically, you must do something wrong because this happened to you. He said, well, I ain't, no, I, no, I had nothing wrong in the sense of I, I, this judgment isn't for that. And, and so they're, they have this dialogue. And finally, Job cries out amongst the dialogue with his buddies, I want an umpire between God and me. You know, that, that term is endearing to me because uh, I, I know what an umpire is. An umpire is someone who calls balls and strikes. And, and here's what I know about balls and strikes. If I'm the batter and the guy's the pitcher, it's amazing the differences we have in what the strike zone is. Pitcher has one idea what the strike zone is, and I have another. And so, if, so what we have to have is an umpire. Because can you imagine if the pitcher threw and said, that's a strike. And you go, well, I don't strike. Too high. No, it's a strike. Because I'm the pitcher. I know what the strike zone is. So I'm the batter. I know what the strike zone is. Well, and so we could never solve it. So what Job is saying is, I want someone, an umpire between me and God on this issue. Because I don't think he's calling balls and strikes right. And God shows up and says, let's talk. There's a dialogue that occurs with a series of questions. I haven't got time for that, but here's what I want you to get to chapter 42 on, please. Then Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do anything. Now, you ready for this? God hadn't done anything yet. God hadn't done anything yet. Job's still hurting and poor and broke. But he's finally gazed at God in such a way that he says, I now know that you can do anything. Man, faith's breaking through. And no plan of yours can be thwarted. You asked, who is this who conceals my counsel with ignorance? Surely I spoke about things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. He said, I said a lot of things I didn't understand and know. I was ignorant. I am no longer that ignorant. I have learned some things about you, God. Didn't know. In chapter 2, I didn't know this about you. In chapter 15, I didn't know this about you. In chapter 31, I didn't know this about you. In chapter 40, I didn't know this. But finally, I've come to understand some things about you I never knew. Things were too wonderful for me to know. You said, listen now and I will speak. When I question you, you will inform me. I heard rumors about you, but now my eyes have seen you. Gosh. Therefore, I take back my words and repent in dust and ashes. Man, God, I I got a little too carried away. I said some things I didn't understand. Made some judgments I was not qualified to make because I'm not God. But I know who you are. I have a clearer understanding of you than ever before in my life. I've seen your hand like never before in my life. And I've heard many stories about you. But now I've experienced you. 
firsthand. And I'm sorry for my ignorance and misunderstanding, but I am not the same person I was in chapter 2. That's what you get out of this. When you get down to it, I had to do a paper on Job and, and had uh, in seminary, and, and we had to give the thing before the class and you know, all this kind of stuff, which I dearly hated. But you give this verbal thing and guys are criticizing it. But the thing I came, this is my, this is my observation. I said, here it is. In chapter 42, Job is no longer going to ask the same questions he asked in chapter 15 and 30. They're answered. He's grown. He's gone beyond where he was. Is that not the reason for trouble and trial in our life? That God may reveal himself in his greater glory that we may know him. And then we know. And then the rest of the story is God did work amazingly. And oh man, it's just amazing. And then I take it to my, one of my favorite guys in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6. Paul says to Timothy, I am ready, being poured out as a drink offering, the time for my departure is close. I fought a good fight, I've finished the race, I've kept the faith. In the future, there is reserved for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day, not only to me, but to all those who've loved his appearing. Now, he's going to talk about some events that brought discouragement to his heart. As a matter of fact, in Corinthians, he talks about his discouragement. And he has times where he was discouraged. He was discouraged the churches weren't doing what they should do. He was discouraged about people he had put his trust in. He talks about... Uh, here he's going to talk about um, Alexander the coppersmith. And then he goes down to verse 16. In my first defense, no one came to my assistance, but everyone deserted me. May it not be counted against them. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. <laughs> the Lord will... Look at this. So that the proclamation might be fully made through me, through all the Gentiles might hear. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil work and will bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul had discouragement. But in those journeys, he grew more of knowing God than ever before. And finally, when he's got a date with an executioner that's going to chop off his head, he says, I am ready. God's taught me a lot of things on this journey. In the midst of my discouragement, he was there. In the midst of my sorrow, he was there. In the midst of my discomfort, he was there. In the midst of my horrible circumstance, he was there. When I was betrayed, he was there. When I was beaten, he was there. When I was shipwrecked, he was there. I've, I've seen him on the depths of the sea. I've seen him inside a jail cell. I have seen him in the midst of my turmoil and my pain. He was with me in Philippi at midnight when we were singing. And he showed up and shook the jail. I have seen him. And I know I'm ready. The purpose of everything in this life, hear me, the purpose of everything in this life is to get us ready for our departure day. When the battle's over, we shall wear a crown. That's what that song used to say. We might ought to sing that sometime. That's a good song. When the battle's over, we shall wear a crown. When the battle's over, 
we shall wear a crown in that new Jerusalem.